0: Yeah, cool. Um, As several videos and things and people have said, my name is Pastor Blair. I am the next-gen pastor here, which basically just means I get to hang out with all the kids all the time, and it's super fun. And especially this morning, when I'm nervous, it's especially good that they're in here, because I like talking to them a whole lot more than I like talking to adults. Um, You're all very pretty and all of those nice things, but you're not as fun as teenagers and kids. So, Just gonna, I'm excited that they're in here this morning. But I've got a question for you. It's a really happy question. Who do you hate? Yeah, let the youth pastor preach, they said. It'll be super fun, they said. It'll be great. Okay, so how about this? I want you to think about who has messed up the trajectory of your life? For my children in the room, you're like, what's trajectory? Like That's not a word we use often. Who's messed up a part of your life? Who has changed the course of how your life has gone? You know, I think we probably could go through and make a list of all the different kinds of people that come to our minds right now. We probably could go through and literally list out every single person that has bothered us, that has frustrated us, that has caused us harm, people who've made us angry, people who have complicated our lives, right? We could probably go down and make a list, and they've been people we've maybe loathed or detested, or maybe we could go down the list and say maybe we've hated them. First John 4, 20 says this, Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters who they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother or sister also. So, who do you hate? Okay, so we still don't like that question probably. How about this? Who do you struggle to love? It's a little nicer way of saying it. Is it a Republican? Is it a Democrat? How about this? Ready? Is it Trump? Is it Biden? How about this, is it Dover fans, Michigan fans? I'm getting warmer, I feel it. Is it the black community? Is it the white community? Maybe it's your boss or it's your coworker. I feel like I'm getting warmer. Maybe it's your spouse for my teenagers in the room. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. How about parents? Maybe it's your kid. Okay, this is my favorite one. This, is, this has been mine this year. Maybe it's that friend that you thought you knew super well, your relationship was really good, and then you saw their opinions on Facebook. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters who they have seen can hardly love God who they have not seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother or their sister also. So what do we do? How do we love people well? Last week we started this series called Anchored, and we're talking about um, the things that, that keep us anchored, right? These core truths. And as a staff last winter, we tried to come up with a word or a phrase that would help us to kind of come back to to be grounded and we a word that felt kind of sturdy and we came back to this word anchored and all the reasons why it fit us as a church, all the reasons why it fit the values that we have as a church and and then Mark divided up between all of us who was going to preach what and He gave me compassion, and at the time, I felt like that was a really good decision on his part. I mean, I felt like, I'm pretty good at this. Like, compassion, I think I've got this. Like, I am ready to teach people a thing or two about how to be compassionate. Like, I feel like I've got this. And I I was ready, and I was excited, but I think I should be honest and vulnerable with you this morning that... This has been probably the hardest year for me to be compassionate. I think I've, actually I know, that I've really struggled with this this year. In fact, it's been something that I thought that I was really good at because of the ways that life has, has hit me. But in fact, I think I've been, I've, I've, I, if I'm honest, not so great at compassion this year. I've said the phrase, God, why doesn't he get it? Why doesn't she understand? Probably more times than I'd like to admit. And if I'm really honest with you, if I'm really vulnerable with you, I didn't even know if I really wanted to preach to you today until last night. I struggled with this idea of what God wanted to say because it meant that I had to look at myself. And I truly believe that if I'm going to preach something to you this morning, that it actually should be probably more for me than it is for you. So I think life can make us a little bit bitter, right? It can make us a little bit hard-hearted towards people and, and things and places that we've always loved. And life has this funny way of doing this. And, and this morning, I believe that God has a message for us, to challenge us in humility, to challenge us in empathy, to challenge us in compassion, right? And if nothing else, this message is for me, and y'all are just sitting in on it, so you're welcome. But I'm going to invite you to, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, um, to turn to the New Testament, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And I'm your favorite pastor because I don't have slides. Because I like participation, and it does bother everyone but me. So, we're going to turn to Colossians three, chapter, or sorry, Colossians three, twelve through seventeen. And while you're turning there, um, this month we're talking about these values, right? We're talking about the values that we hold as a church. And and Pastor Mark last week started with real life connecting. This idea that in everything that we do, that we are to make much of Jesus right and he challenged us to make much of jesus in every area of our life and so today we're going to talk about compassion no strings attached compassion to be exact and for us here that means that we want to meet the tangible needs of those who feel unloved without judging or holding back just so that people can experience the embrace of jesus So this idea comes from specifically Colossians 3.12, but today I'm going to expand it just a little bit further to verse 17. And for further context and study, I highly, highly recommend reading Colossians. It's only four chapters. It's a quick one. Honestly, I read it originally in like 15 minutes. You could probably do it in less. I'm a slow reader. But I have a lot to say today, so you really have to listen fast, okay? And for all the kids in the room, they're like, yes, she'll shut up sooner. But it's okay. So Paul is writing, by the way, if you forgot, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae to encourage them. And our verses 12 through 17 flow from this encouragement of the beginning of verses 1 through 4. And they're they're encouraging, Paul's encouraging them to seek what is above. And 3.12, where we're going to start today, starts off with therefore. And when you see a therefore, you typically want to know what it is there for. If you didn't know that, that's, that's a little fun way to remember it. But for Paul, in the previous paragraph, he starts our verse off talking about unity with God's people. And based on their status as those who are one in Christ, Paul is now going to instruct them to clothe themselves, just like our kids did, maybe a little better, but with the kind of character and qualities that allow for unity to flourish, for unity to grow. And and our verses today are Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and Paul is continuing to encourage believers toward being more like Christ. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me um, in honor of the reading of God's word. We're in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I'm reading from the uh, Christian English Bible, and it says this, Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other as the Lord forgave you. So also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing with God gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or in action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. In these few, I can speak, I swear, in these few short verses, Paul gives the Colossians their instructions, right? When we're in school, we get our instructions and we tend to forget to read them because we just want to get it done as quickly as we possibly can. But Paul gives them their instructions of what they should do and why they should do it and how they should do it. That's super nice. Paul begins by reminding the Colossians those who called themselves followers of Christ, who they are. He reminds them of the fact that God chose them and therefore they get to enjoy a unique position of favor with God. They are holy. They are set apart from sin from the rest of the world. They are set apart unto God. They're God's unique creation. His people, They are chosen to demonstrate his reality to the world in which they live. They are chosen to be different so that others can see God's power and God's glory. They are chosen, and God restored them to demonstrate God's power to the world around them. And not only are they holy, not only are they set apart, but they are beloved. They are loved by God which means that God loves them and wants the very best for them. Sound familiar? Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, says this, The Lord was devoted to you and chose you, not because you were numerous by all the peoples, but that you were fewest of all the peoples, because, but because the Lord loved you. And because God loves them, God loves us, Paul encourages them to put off their old ways, and I highly encourage you to read this book for yourself. But he encourages them to put off their old ways, the sinful way of life, and to put on or clothe themselves, right, with things that fit their status as God's people. That status or that identity, it should, it should change them. It should tr- drive them towards characteristics that look more like love. The Colossians should have solidarity not because of their common language or their culture or their geography, but because they have been chosen, they are holy and loved by God. The word that is used here in verse 12 is is also used in Ephesians 6.14, where the scripture tells us to put on the armor of God. But instead of putting on the armor as if to go into spiritual warfare, we are putting on these characteristics for peace instead of war. In Ephesians, we are putting on the armor for war, but here we're dressing ourselves for peaceful existence with others. We are, we are hoping to clothe ourselves with garments of new life in Christ, and these garments are worn by the person who's been changed, the person whose life looks a little different, or hopefully a lot different, because they have been with Jesus. And all of these things, right, that giant little coat, little coat, giant little coat, that doesn't make any sense, but you know what I meant. That giant coat, right? We are wrapped, it is all held together by love. And Paul says that love is the bond, the perfect bond of unity, of God's new people that Paul describes in verse 11, where racial and cultural and sociological differences are transcending. It is only possible that this community can come together where love rules, where love wraps everything. And in verse 14, Paul stresses the importance of love in the list by saying that the Colossians should close themselves with love above all things. Paul gives us these five virtues to put on, but I just want to spend some time with this first one, right? We're talking about compassion, no strings attached. Compassion is a value of ours as a church. And, and this idea of compassion here is talking about mercy. It's talking about sympathy. As Christians, we are part of the same family, right? Right? And we should not be indifferent to one another. This seems to be harder these days, am I right? We should not be cruel, we should not be harsh, we should not be cold toward one another. But one of the characteristics of being a genuine Christian, of being a follower of Jesus, is that he or she possesses a heartfelt compassion for one another. It's nothing less than feeling towards others as God feels towards them I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase but everyone is made in the image of God and so therefore God loves all of us even the person you hate even the person you struggle to love that person is loved by God and 16 times in the New Testament Jesus is mentioned with this word compassion and in fact every time compassion is mentioned with Jesus it's an active phrase I loved that I love moving. I love participation. I love active activity. And recently, I was reading in Matthew 20 where Jesus asked the two blind men, what do you want for me to do? And they said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And I love what this scripture says, Ness. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Mark tells us about a man with leprosy. And this man came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And again, Scripture reports that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing be healed instantly. The leprosy disappeared, and this man was healed. There are several other similar occurrences in Scripture, and each time, when Jesus feeds the multitudes, we're told that Jesus had compassion on them. This is found in Mark several times and in Matthew. Often when Jesus saw crowds of people who seemed lost, he was moved with compassion. The need was so great, he could feel it. I've always loved Matthew 9:35 through 38, which says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And Jesus' compassion always leads to action. Whether it's healing or feeding or providing or calling others to serve, Jesus shows us that compassion is others-centered. It's others-focused. It's outward. It's self-giving. Self-giving is selfishness in reverse, right? It isn't concerned with the benefits. It isn't concerned with what I'm going to get. And it expects nothing in return, whether it's offering directions to someone who is very lost, probably it's me driving around Philly still with my GPS, giving an especially generous tip to the waitress or waiter, right, who maybe is a little needy, who's having a hard day, who maybe didn't do such a great job, or it's encouraging that friend who didn't get that job that they hoped for or that promotion that they hoped for. Self-giving is love done out of the care and the compassion and kindness, right, all of these things that Paul encourages us in, and it's something that comes down to our motives. Moms are really good at being givers. It's just a thing. Dads struggle with this usually more than women, but there are some dads out there that are very giving, so kudos to you. But you can be a giver. You can be somebody who desires to give everything you have, right, away, and still expect something in return, right? There's times where we're like, I'd really actually, you think we're giving very selflessly, but occasionally it's like, I don't know, why didn't they like say thank you or get me a card or something? It doesn't happen often, I know, we're not those people, but we call it giving with strings attached, right? And in other words, there is an expectation connected to the giving. And the origin of the idiom, no strings attached, is directly tied to the 18th century um, fabric merchants, who would mark flaws in woven cloth by tying small strings on the bottom of the bolts at the locations where flaws were present. I could preach a whole different ser- sermon about that alone, but I won't. When a tailor or a dressmaker needed flawless cloth, he or she would ask the merchant to provide fabric with fabric, excuse me, with no strings attached. This custom is still something that we use today. I'm sure some of you might have already known that. So it's this practice of giving with an expectation that we'll be getting something in return, right? But true self-giving, true selfless giving involves know this for that. True self-giving is offering the best of who you are to others, and it comes with no strings attached. So Paul tells the Colossians what they're to do to be like Christ, to clothe themselves in these, compa- these characteristics. We've got compassion, we've got kindness, humility, patience, gentleness. And to do all these things wrapped in love. To do all these things through a lens of love. I don't know about you, but lately, love seems to be a little more grace-filled. It seems to be a little harder to navigate all of these things when I have my agenda, when I have my way of doing things. Paul tells the Colossians that they're doing this because they are his, because they're chosen, because they're dearly loved. Reminds us that right at the beginning of verse 12. And when we are clothed in these ways, we look our best, right? When we're clothed in these different kinds of fabrics, these different kinds of ideas, and wrapped in love, we we should hopefully look our best. No-strings-attached compassion looks like putting our best selves out there it's loving it's looking for the best kind of fabric to be able to give and then in verse 13 Paul tells them how they are to do it and he gives them two ways he says be tolerant of each other and forgive one another to be tolerant means to put up with several of us in this room are like I do it every day I'm already an expert It also means to endure. So I'm pretty sure we could all think of several people in our lives that we endure. But being around them is not really fun. Um, And we have to have patience with these people. We have to have patience to endure with these people. And it can never, there can never be true unity within the church. There can never be true unity within the body of believers unless we are willing to tolerate one another, which I feel like is like a low bar. Am I right? You don't even necessarily have to like that person. You're just like cool with them being in the room. I feel like that's not terrible. But we can't be who we are unless we are willing to tolerate each other. And the only way we can do this is through forgiveness. So that second thing that happens when we clothe ourselves in these traits is we forgive each other. Even as Christ forgave us. Even if you have a valid complaint against somebody, you're to forgive them. I don't know about you, but I have occasionally been known to have an unforgiving spirit. It's something God is working on me. And my pride and my ego has been wounded, and sometimes I can't bring myself to do what's right. I can't bring myself to forgive that person. For whatever offense it was that they committed against me, one author puts it this way, that forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. To forgive someone involves three things. First, it means to let go of the need to strike back. You fight the urge to gossip back when they've gossiped about you. To, to turn away when they've given you a bad turn. Second, it means replacing the feeling of resentment, of anger with goodwill and a love that seeks for the other's welfare, for the other's good, not their harm. And third, it means a forgiving person, excuse me, a person takes the next step to restore good relationship with that person. For us as Christians, forgiveness may not be easy, but it's not optional either It's an essential characteristic of the transformed life. Tolerance and forgiveness are never a problem when we're talking about people we really love. I have a shirt that I love to wear. I don't know why that almost just made me like cry for a second. I guess I'm tired. (laughs) But it says everything changes when it's someone you know. Everything changes when it's someone you know. I'm thinking about coining it to everything changes when it's someone you love. Because it's someone that's personal to you. You're willing to be tolerant. You're willing to forgive them because you would do anything to keep that person in your life. And because God restored us to fellowship with him, we are to love people as God loves them. Over the last year of being here, I've watched some various types of people make their way through our parking lot. It's quite Sometimes it's quite interesting. Um, I'm tempted to make friends occasionally thus far. I've only played basketball with a few teenagers. And then they quickly left because there were like some old ladies playing with us. I know I'm not old. I just, they think I am because it is what it is. Um, But some stay and they play basketball. Some ride bikes with their kids. And a few weeks ago we found out that occasionally the outside of our, well, I found out. I'm sure everyone else knew. I'm just slow, so. But the outside of our building occasionally gets used as a home for those without a home. And if you know my story, this is very near and dear. This population of people is very near and dear to my heart. And we found out that some of our outdoor mats that... You walk, you walk in, you wipe your feet off of, and then you come in the building. But those mats were being used as like a bed. And even in fact that parts of our building were being used as a bathroom. And if I'm honest with you, it really, it broke my heart. It made me so sad. All I could think about was the fact that that was somebody's son or daughter That's somebody's mom, or cousin, or aunt, or uncle. That's somebody that, somebody loves that person. Everything changes when it's someone you know. And if you've heard my story, my mom has been homeless since I was 13, and she struggles with mental illness and drugs, but I still love her. She's still my mom. And my, her reality, My mom's reality has opened my eyes to see other people's realities in ways that I will never be able to fully grasp. It's changed the way I see the world. It's opened everything up into a new light. And so I asked Pastor Mark, I was like, can we? I know this is maybe not the greatest idea, and I don't know if we can do this, but are we allowed to maybe buy them a cot? What about a bucket? Because I don't think this person really wants to be using the bathroom somewhere. They probably don't really want to be doing that. Can we put like one of those, have you seen the camping toilets? Super awesome. And maybe that's, that's simple, right? But, but maybe right now, that's the best way that we can put on compassion and love our neighbor. Everything changes when it's someone you know. So this is why verses, I'm, I'm landing the plane, I promise. This is why verses 15 through 17 are so important. Don't Please don't miss this, that if we want to be anchored in compassion, if we want to be people who look like Jesus, then we have to participate. Verse 15 tells us that we are called into one body. The word translated called means to summon or to call your name as if you have been summoned to court or to a table with the king. The imagery here is that God has called us into the world to live in his eternal presence, to be in relationship with God, and to put it another way, God is, my professor used to say, God is breathing us into this place in order to breathe us out and send us to be his hands and feet. God is wooing us into his presence. If you're a tried and true Nazarene, you know this idea of provenient grace that that God is constantly wooing us to himself, that God is pursuing us and drawing us into himself. And so this gathering into community that we do each week is so that we can be filled, but also so that we can participate and be sent back out to love, to be put on, to put those clothes back on. And in verse 16, we talk about this with our students. I'm going to test them. Let's see if any of, them, any of them that are here remember. If you want to get to know God, you have to get to know God. They're not paying attention. Not a single one of them. Look at them. they were like, phones? What? If you want to get to know God, you got to get to know? I can't hear you. I know you know the answer. It's like Bible school answer. Oh? He's going to guess. Jesus? There we go. Good job. I clearly am doing a good job. Anybody want to give me a raise? Um, If you want to get to know God, you have to get to know Jesus. If you Want to get to know Jesus? What do you have to do? Anybody? Bueller. What do you do? You got to, like, be louder. I know you can be louder. Read his word. Okay, I'm going to accept it. But what specifically do we read? Thank you. I hear it. They're just whispering it. The Gospels. The word of Christ, this is in um, our text right here, it is verse 16. The word of Christ must live within you richly, teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to God with your gratitude in your hearts. To be anchored in compassion, we've got to gather with God's people. Because if I'm doing life on my own and I'm going and I'm not going to small group and I'm not going to Sunday morning and I think that I'm putting my compassion hat on and I'm putting on my humility and my gentleness and my pants and all of, my, all of these characteristics and I'm thinking that I'm throwing around love like it's confetti. But you look at me and you see that I've forgotten compassion today. That I don't actually show humility. And through relationship with you and as we study the word and we join in community and we learn to tolerate each other and forgive one another I can grow deeper and be anchored deeper into that reminder of who I am in Christ. And then, then in verse 17, I can do all of that and all that I do and make much of Jesus. But I have to be anchored in compassion. I've got to do some things. I've got to participate. What will hold me back from being anchored in compassion is Fear. I asked you earlier, who is hard for you to love? I bet we can think of several people in our community that are hard for us to love. We don't understand them. We don't see the world like they see things. And sometimes when we're afraid that what we have isn't enough, that we won't get enough, that we won't be enough, that we won't have enough, if we're not anchored into who God says we are, we'll have fear that we won't have enough. We'll have fear that we won't have what we need. But when I'm putting my best clothes on each day, when I'm spending time in the Word, when I'm spending time with others, when I'm clothing myself each day with these different characteristics of who God is, I know that my compassion isn't going to leave me with less. I actually will have the ability to love more and I might know some more people, and everything will change because it's someone I know. I'll be able to make much of Jesus because I'm giving with no strings attached. So who is difficult for you to love? Who's God inviting you to love? I'm going to invite the band back up, and they're going to close with a song, and One of the things that we've been talking about is this idea of the 5%, right? The 5% of your life. I get 1% today. And I want to challenge you. Who's difficult for you to love? Who, when I thought about, when I, I mentioned what's happening on our parking lot or in our community, when we talked about these different communities, when we think about these different communities that so desperately need the love of Jesus. Who's difficult for you to love? We are called to be a people who love with no strings attached. So I want to challenge you as we sing to maybe take some time of reflection. Whether maybe it's praying here at the altar. Maybe it's kind of what I talked about of who do you need to forgive or maybe there's some things holding you back from being able to give with no strings attached. I want to challenge you that as you think and process that you start thinking about ways you can get involved in our community, whether it's on Mission Sunday, whether it's with Tough Bags or with Friends of the Homeless or tons of the other ways in this community that we have available to us. Who's God calling you to love? And maybe, and not maybe, just maybe, I want to I encourage you to think about locally, but I want you to think globally, right? Operation Christmas Child is coming. We have a, a great, um, through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, through our World Evangelism Fund, through our Faith Promise Giving, we get to make an impact as a church of the Nazarene globally. So maybe God is calling you to love Globally. So this 1%, I want you to think about some ways in the next few weeks, in the next year even, how you can give 1% of your time, locally and globally. Everything changes when it's someone you know. Let's be anchored in compassion. Let's make much of Jesus. Will you stand as we respond?